Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. I'm your host, Joe Schunkweiler, a physician and former health tech executive now supporting startups and investors at Amazon Web Services. Today, I'm joined by Mike Mang, CEO and founder of Stellar Health a company empowering providers and practices to deliver high-quality care through real-time notifications and meaningful incentives. Mike and I discuss why supporting and rewarding frontline providers and staff is so important to succeeding in value-based care, how technology facilitates behavior change in healthcare, and what he saw as an investor that has informed his approach to running a high-growth startup. Enjoy. Mike Mang, CEO and founder of Stellar Health. Thanks for joining me today. To start off, can you tell us a bit about Stellar Health and what you all do? One of the fundamental things we've always seen in in value-based care and healthcare has been that despite having value-based care contracts or agreements in place, at the end of the day, there's real doctors on the front lines and their staff who really carry out all the value-based care work, right? Sometimes we call them the doers of the work. And a lot of times they're not quite rewarded for all the right value-based care activities that they need to carry out. And so what Stellar really does is bridges this exact point where for these health insurers and other risk bearers out there who want all these value-based care activities done, we help get those things done by getting the doctors, the medical assistants, the nurses, front desk staff to carry those things out, do those things. And we exchange and, and hand them something we call a stellar value unit or an incentive payment every time they do those right activities. These can be things like getting mammograms done or colonoscopies done, which are incredibly important from quality standpoint and preventative care standpoint. And for getting those things done, it helps the system out and the doctors and their staff are rewarded for doing the right thing. So it sounds like it's really about behavior change at all levels. I have sort of worked in the space broadly and I know, as you said, that it takes, you know, that saying it takes a village, it takes an army to do this well, uh, whether that's a few folks in a physician's practice or a whole system realigned. And it sounds like you're really going after that mindset to get everybody who's delivering value to get something out of that process as well. I think that's exactly right, which is ultimately any business outside of healthcare. I think it's all about behavior change. I frequently think about, you know, how Microsoft maybe changed how we use PCs, right? Or Apple's changed how we use mobile phones. Um, All of that is just as equally as important. And in healthcare, in order to solve this problem, we are going to have to change the behavior of all these people who participate and deliver care in the healthcare system. Now, one big difference, though, is I think historically people have said, can we just really, really emphasize it in some way, and maybe people will do it. I think what I would tell you is by setting up the right reward structures, these doctors all of a sudden will say, yeah, this this does make some sense if I am getting rewarded for my time there. So that's a really important part of how you drive, I think, behavior out of people is setting up the right reward systems um, to carry out the right work. And where where did it come from? Like what's, you know, how, how did Mike Meng uh, uh, get to be the guy that, to tackle this, this really thorny challenge across the health system? Yeah, well, my background um, 
I spent the 10 years prior at a private equity firm called Apex Partners, and I did all the healthcare investing in North America um, there with my team. And uh, I got to see a lot of all the potential solutions out there, you know, kind of how healthcare has evolved over time. Uh, and from seeing that, one of the things we observed was when you got docs focused on a system in which they were rewarded for doing all the right things, and, and maybe instead of making payments solely based on how much volume you did, and you did it down to actually the value-based care action work, it really changed the game. I got to see this mm. live manually, and, and it works, right? Uh, and so we then said, my co-founders said, we should build technology that solves exactly that problem. It's definitely capturing the, the trend line and the way things are going, even if it's not as fast as a lot of us hope would be the case. And, and a big part of that, I think, is the complexity in who the buyers are in these scenarios versus who your users are uh, for any of these solutions. So for Stellar, who do you call your customers? Who's, who's signing on the dotted line and, 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 and funding that? And then as a follow-on to that, is that different from who's using the technology to get to that, to achieve that behavior change that we talked about before? Yeah, that's exactly right. So customers probably break down into two categories for us. Uh, health insurers, these are the big names that you know, Aetna, United, traditional insurers. And then there's also increasingly large provider groups or health systems that take risk. They act as the insurer in that sense there, right? Or they stand to gain when all this value-based care is delivered. So those are our capital C customers. To the exact point you're highlighting, they're not the ones who can actually deliver value-based care though. The people who carry it out are the actual doctors who see you and me as a patient. Those are actually our users. And those are actually the people that are potentially, I think, more important and valuable to us than even the customers. It's a very interesting dynamic that we care so much more about the doctors, their experience. How hard is it for them to carry this out in our application? Uh, that's all we really focus on in terms of our product, our people, we really care about those doctors. And something that listeners on this podcast have heard me say before, but that uh, doctors and clinicians of all stripes, not just doctors, you know, anybody yeah. who's touching patients um, in particular and their staff are really discerning users wedded to their mission. And it's really hard to get them to use something they don't want to use. My question for you is, how does your engagement model look for physicians? Is it a pure software play? Do you have a service offering? Like, how, what, what does that look like? How are you thinking through approaching that, that provider segment? So our providers and their offices, to your point, you, you rightly, Joe, highlighted, it's not just the doctor. It could be all sorts of clinicians, medical assistants, staff. In fact, sometimes I say they're even more important to the whole system. Right. So those people are actually very critical to this. Um, and the way we think about it is the software is used by them. It can be mobile, web app, integrated into the EMR, however their office likes to use it. They pull it up and the important piece is that it's prospective in nature. I try and use that, I use the analogy of almost like Google Glasses. Think of it as before you as a clinician or staff go in and see Susie the patient, 
you are putting on the stellar Google glasses, right? You are actually, you now know stuff about that patient that you wouldn't have otherwise known. And you now know what you might want to do that is incredibly valuable and should be rewarded in the system. That's the only way you can intervene into their workflow. Sometimes, by the way, it's as simple as a piece of paper. So despite being fully mobile friendly and mobile react as in terms of how we're built, we have a lot of providers who say, I actually just want the printed piece of paper still. So the medical system, right before you go in, says, hey, Dr. Joe, here's, here's, a, here's the extra stellar piece of paper that right. you can act on. And again, fully mobile and digital and modern tech, yet if that's the way they want to interact with it, that's fine, right? At the end of the day, what I care about is that this gets in front of that doctor or that, staff, that clinician who's going to see you, and they act on it as they go and see you as the patient. Um, that's the important piece, and that's how we tend to think about all the different product that we build. Now, that, that, that product that I'm referring to does show you, if you do these three actions right now, address their diabetes with chronic complications, CHF, and get them a mammogram, those three things could be worth an extra $30 each, $90 total for doing those things. Um, and now you think about maybe it's worth taking the extra time to address that condition, to make sure they are taking the metformin, to make sure they're referred to the right cardiologist, or to make sure that they actually get scheduled for a manager. That takes time. And by rewarding for that, now it gets done. It's better care for the patient. The doctor actually was rewarded for that extra time. And ultimately, the system, I think, is better off for having done those things. That's the full process of doing that. Uh, and once that's done, what Stellar is really doing in the back end is we're validating. Did it happen? Did it not yeah. happen? Let's check and make sure that we have efficacy when we do prompt with those glasses. Is the challenge more of a data technology solution challenge, or is it um, more on the behavior change side? So um, clearly we have the capabilities to do these things um, at scale and you know, it, it mobile enabled, et cetera, all over the world. Um, but what would you say is the balance between getting the tech, whatever it is to the right place and then getting folks to use it that way? And it might be you know, 90, 10 behavior technology or, or the flip. So I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing from the front lines on this. It's an interesting question, and I would say I even get why you pose the question, Joe. I would say, interestingly enough, we don't even think of it that way. Mm. Um, in that, if you, if you, I guess to answer your question directly, I would say it probably is more the behavior change than it is the tech. But what I would also tell you is that the two do not disentangle very well. In fact, right. I think of it instead as the behavior change is our North Star, and we're endeavoring towards that, and the tech facilities. And what I really mean by this is it is easy to say that, you know, you need to come up with the analytics and the actions that, that are served up. Sure. That stuff actually what is not particularly hard. I say this all the time. That's why analytic companies are dime a dozen at hinge, right? The hard part is that behavior change. But in our tech, when you marry incentives and payments to actions, it actually changes the nature of the product and actually poses a bunch of technical challenges hmm. that most people have not really thought of before. So a really important aspect of Stellar, for example, is that the amount we pay and all those things are actually dynamic. We can change those when we need to or want to. You've probably seen this in the industry. Hey, it's uh, November and it's 
it's diabetes awareness month. Let's go get your diabetic eye exams right. out there, right? And we're like, great. Customer, keep doing that. Drive that that way. I think that's marketing and education. But we can actually pair that with a surge price or a promotion or a, a special. If you get the next 20 diabetic eye exams in November done, we'll bonus you extra amounts. So when you do things like that, it changes quite a bit the tech you need to drive something like that. So I actually don't usually disentangle those two things. And it's harder to, 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 to kind of make that happen. In fact, maybe pose a different way, you would say you would say this, if you took an existing analytic platform and just tried to add money to it, it wouldn't work quite right. the same way. And is that the need you saw um, back to the, the sort of taking a step back to the founding side when you left the investment space that you couldn't retrofit the current solutions. You know, I think somebody less, less in the weeds on this would say, great, take solution XYZ, an EMR, a practice management solution, a patient engagement solution, whatever it is, retrofit it to what you need, add the payment feature or what have you, and then you got it, you know, some sort of Stripe EMR hybrid kind of thing. I know that doesn't, it doesn't work that way because it is, it's complex because the data models and the underlying inf information you have to bring in to make it, you know, accurate at all times. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Like what's the, like, how did you like take me through that, seeing that need as an investor and then going from that to the initial iteration for Stellar? Yeah, I think that's, that's a, you're spot on about what happened and we decided we really need to build this from the ground up because the fundamental data models are different. Um, but, but I'll give you an example. We used to own a company at AMS called Trizetto. It's the facets claim system, pretty wide share out there. Right. What I can tell you about claim systems and I can tell you about payers is people tend to follow the money. So how it's paid, when it's paid, it's actually why these claim systems were pretty, you didn't really want to switch from them because that reliability is so critical. So I do think how you get paid is so important uh, to this whole thing. In fact, maybe put a different way, again, on the provider side, I do sometimes say this, I've never really met a provider who didn't know how to maximize their RVUs. Even some of the FQHC doctors I know, they know how to do it, even if they choose not to. Uh, my point is, people know how systems work and they too tend to figure it out. And so all we were trying to say is, why are we trying so hard to change how they are even just compensated and all these things? Instead, you can actually take technology to evolve and, and map a complex value-based care contract into all the bite-sized work and actions and make it easier on these doctors uh, instead of harder on them. And then that's actually really why we came about. We said, if we're going to do that and map that, then it really matters that it starts ground up of how you pay and when you pay as a as an MBA, uh, as a former business student, I was super impressed with the uh, clear-eyed um, approach that my classmates, who ended up either coming from the private equity wor equity world or going into the private equity world, um, they are. Um, I used to say, like, if you needed to analyze the cost structure of a business, um, find somebody who had done PE, private equity, previously, because that's like the game, like they, you, the model capabilities within those folks, they're the people you want on your case teams uh, for doing any modeling. So clearly you see the trajectory for value-based care models in general. Um, 
heading the right way in the sense that like more payers, government entities, what have you, large provider groups are trending that way. Because, you know, I, as somebody who came from that world and am, I'm a believer, admittedly a believer in value-based care as, a, as, a, as an approach, there are um, no small number of people who um, take delight in pointing out the headwinds um, for value-based care as a, as a shift in the way we deliver care. So did you have any uh, misgivings? Were there other folks in the PE world, let's say, that were saying like, hey, like value-based care is great, but it's still a tiny percentage of what folks are doing. Like fee-for-service is so ingrained that it's going to be a long time beyond the horizon you know, for some, for a business like Stellar, what, what were the naysayers saying? And, and again, I'm a believer. So like, you, yeah. know, you know, but I think it's, it's worth folks hearing like the folks that are actually doing the value-based care and, and incentivizing it and, and enabling it. Like what's the, what's the bull case, you know, the, the positive case for value-based care long-term. Yeah. Um, I, I think first of all, lots of naysayers everywhere. And, and in some ways, rightfully so, I actually think a lot of those naysayers sometimes have uh, quite positive intent. Um, I think healthcare by nature is an incumbent scheme, right? Like it's designed that way. Uh, and so it's not surprising that there's a lot of skepticism around it. I think to maybe tie it to your point on maybe the private equity business school classmates, which I certainly remember that quite well as well. I think what private equity teaches you is this idea of capital allocation based on ROI, right? Mm -hmm. Return on investment. And actually when you buy a company, or you invest in a project, they're kind of the same thing. There's an ROI associated with it. It's fundamentally in finance called capital budgeting, right? And that actually all great CEOs or business people, similarly to private equity folks, are just driving really great ROI on whatever they deploy against uh, at those resources. And so in this situation, I think it actually has really helped us in that I can tell you for most of our customers, almost every one of them, that's actually all they care about, right? Ultimately, they still care about ROI, that this generates real value. And I, I say this to my team a lot, when we generate that ROI and value, and we generate ROIs north of 7X to 15X to 1, 15 to 1 ROI, wow. when we do that, what it does is it earns us the privilege and the right to serve them again next year and to maybe double our business, right? And that is literally what we work for um, with this application. And we talk about it in that same way. So our customers who always want to measure the ROI, <laughs> we're doing the same thing with them. And so that has really helped us. Maybe another way to put that even is, sometimes in healthcare, I find you have to prove value first before maybe people will let you in, right? And so by proving value early and often, what it actually allows us to do then is maybe they'll hand over the data, which that's not easy to come by. Maybe they'll right. hand over the funding, which is not easy to come by. All those are the headwinds in this industry. But again, when you show a little bit of value, people then want to return that favor. And that's a really important piece of how we have gotten and built uh, the company to where it is. I, I think that's a great point. And you know, the way I've framed it back to my my previous life as a, uh, in the political policy world, um, in healthcare, in American healthcare in particular, there are so few things that are designed to save money and add value that, that 
it's worth running, running it, playing it out as far as you can to find the things that do that. Like somebody concerned with delivering outcomes for um, at, at at a value. Um, you know, when I I have had the privilege of presenting value-based care models to physicians, specialists, surgeons, and others, and and trying to get them to think through the way investors think, um, you know, like, are you, you know, are you getting, what are you getting for what you pay? Um, and um, I think the the trend lines, I agree with you, the trend lines are going that way, but I also say it's like, who else is trying? You know, what other models are out there trying? And it's definitely worth doing that because of the concerns about sustainability throughout the whole system. Have you seen a shift throughout COVID? Are more people open to this discussion? Are fewer people open open to this discussion? What has COVID done in terms of Stellar's trajectory? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say net COVID has helped, but let me break that down for you a little bit. First, I don't think it's a direct impact in that this isn't like telehealth or remote patient monitoring where certainly COVID made a, a drastic impact there. Um, but in, in this case, what I found is on the, on the maybe negative side, it was really tough. Those first three months, I still remember April, May, June, 2020, a lot of our providers, they, they didn't see a patient. In fact, we saw activity in our application just fall off a cliff to about 25% than normal. So just fell off. Uh, what was kind of neat, by the way, was we had enough, we, could, we had enough data where we could see that in real time. Um, and we actually sprung into action to help a lot of our providers get telehealth stood up and running so they could at least do that right. by mid-April, early May of that time period. But it was, it was, it was definitely tough um, in terms of just when, when doctors are not seeing their patients, it's pretty hard to do any value-based care, right? It's just a, right. Kind of a, a fundamental structure. Um, what was great, though, on the other hand, is two things that were positive that came out of it. Well, one, I think by using technologies and these, these incentives, we're pretty nimble. So as soon as the people started seeing their paid doctors again um, and, and coming kind of July, August, we bounced back faster than any other solution could have because all of a sudden it was a way for you to earn extra money as a doctor to, 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 to address all these right things really quickly. So you, we kind of got more engagement faster coming out of the gate. So our results when compared to like control in COVID were even better. So it showed us in a better light the second piece of that is that I also found that every doctor in that period had a friend or a friend of a friend who was in some value-based care contract or risk contract where it was probably beneficial to them or right. a subcap, right? Yeah. And in that situation, what I found it did was it opened up the appetite for this even more. So if you met a doctor who originally was like, well, I don't, I don't talk, I don't do risk, I don't do value-based care because it's risky. I've seen people lose their shirts. I think. The, the, the kind of sentiment has changed to, no, there's something really there. I know a doctor who had subcap and made it through without missing any revenue. You know, there's, there's stories like that. And that led to more acceptance I guess, kind of amongst the delivery community. It, it, interestingly enough, I, I saw a lot of the same things. And the thing that anecdotally uh, on the positive side, hearing health systems say that, like highlight the brittleness of fee-for-service as a primary revenue model um, that, as you said, is easily easily um, impacted by by something that we you know, hadn't seen coming from the um, from that perspective. Mike, as a 
as an investor turned operator, what did you see as an investor that you brought in um, as a CEO? Like, what kind of skills did you see in other CEOs or operators that you said, "Oh, that's you know, that's going to inform me running running Stellar." I'm very curious about that, given your background. Yeah, if it's all right with you, I'll, I'll actually answer both sides of that coin of also Please. things that I decided not to do. <laughs> um, but but on the on the you know skills and insights, I do think that rigor matters and and thoughtfulness. And and I think if you to your point on your private equity buddies, I think on the whole as an industry, pretty thoughtful because you have to be when you're placing an investment in the hundreds of millions of dollars of billions of dollars, you're pretty thoughtful about all the questions that may come up and all that. And I'd say that we do bring that quite a bit at Stellar. So there's intellectual kind of honesty and rigor that is actually quite important. Um, it's actually why I think our clients, our customers today, really trust and believe in, in all the work we do and that we're not just selling some airy thing. It has to be grounded in very hard, real data reality. And that's it. We don't sit there until we've achieved all sorts of things. We don't sit there uh, shouting out at the top of our lungs how great we are because I think there's more to do uh, in there. So I think that that's some of the stuff we've brought, that discipline, that rigor um, over. I think on the other hand, I'd say, you know, as I transition to operating more, I do think that running companies and, and having people at scale, what you really find ever more so, and this is my hard lessons learned, is how important leadership and servant leadership really is. Um, we would say this a lot, but you know that if the entire leadership team of a company was successful, then the CEO is successful, right? That's why want to hire the best and brightest in those roles. I find that truer than ever before, uh, that in any given managerial situation, if all those direct reports are successful, by definition, you are good. And that's another thing I took quite a bit from, from private equity. On the other hand, I think some of the things that we really care a lot even more so about is, um, you know, balancing some of the things around work-life balance and sustainability around this at scale, right? So you have way more employees who maybe come from different walks of life and have different wants and needs. In fact, one big thing we have at Stella is a lot of flexibility. Like our, our return to work policy has been, you need to come to the office three days a month. That's it. Now, a lot of people come way more than that, but I want people to have the freedom and the agency to make those types of decisions um, on their own and what that leads to is your own choices about balancing out your life, right? And, and the things that, that really matter. And we really emphasize that a lot. I, I watch our employee engagement surveys very, very closely, our onboarding surveys, all those things, I think how people are, at the end of the day, we're still a human capital company. And so if, if our human capital is at the top, then I think our company will end up um, being very, very uh, successful. That's really what I spend most of my time focused on um, as a whole. Mike Mang, CEO and founder of Stellar Health. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks again for having me, Joe, and uh, really appreciate you reaching out for this. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com startups.